Amen, amen. Yeah. Amen. I'm so glad you're here today. I want to begin with a few um, professions that we make here today. The fact that we've gathered here already says some things. That we have gathered to hear from God. Amen. So we begin this morning with some confessions, professions. We believe that God's word is true. Amen. We believe that God's word is alive and powerful. Amen. We believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again on the third day. Amen. We believe that he has called us in himself for a purpose bigger than ourselves. Amen. We believe that we are the church of the living God, the body of Jesus Christ here on this earth. Amen. 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 We could go on and on, but let's just, let's just hold with those right there. We've gathered for purpose. We've gathered to hear. Because God is at work. He's doing something new. He's doing something fresh. And we're gathered here for that today. Amen? And we can be sure that whatever God has intended and has purpose, purposefully begun, that the enemy will do all he can to stop it. And so he has a purpose here this morning as well. But greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Amen? And so this morning, I'm intentionally, and I would encourage you to join me in this process of shutting down any voice that's not from the Spirit of Truth himself. Of shutting out any thoughts that are just from myself and not from the Spirit of God himself. Of intently tuning my spiritual ears and heart to hear exactly what God has to say and him alone. And being quick to respond to whatever he has to say. Amen? This is how and why we've gathered today. We're in the middle of a series we call Fresh Start. We began at the beginning of the year thinking about what it means to begin 2018 with a fresh start. But as we've walked through the book of Acts, we've discovered that God himself began something brand new in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the earth. Jesus himself had returned to the Father, and he said, I must go to the Father so that the Spirit can come. The Spirit of truth, this comforter, this one who will lead you and guide you into all truth. And the Spirit did come in the book of Acts, and he is still here today, filling those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So we've seen the book of Acts, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and we've seen how God has been at work, and he filled these believers, and there was such a spirit of joy amongst them. There was a, there was a spirit of, of prophesying among them. They began to speak with tongues. They began to speak with other languages, actual languages that were meant for those who were dwelling in Jerusalem at the time. And so those from other nations and tribes and tongues were hearing the good works of God. They were hearing the gospel. They were hearing about Jesus Christ. Christ in their own language. God was working a miracle that day, and he was doing something big. He was pushing the boundaries out further than the, the Jewish people had ever thought, and now the Gentiles and the nations and others were going to hear and believe this good news. 
There was such a spirit of, of unity and oneness. We saw in Acts chapter 2 how the believers all gathered together and when there was need, they would even sell their possessions so that they could help provide for those who were in need. They were watching others who were being persecuted, who had to leave Jerusalem, who had gathered and they didn't have enough. And so they, as a body, gathered and they sold and they gave and they cared for one another. They met needs. It was what they did as the people of God. And this unity is growing. This, this beauty is happening in Acts chapter 4 as kind of a, a pre-context to where we're headed today. Let me just read this passage. Acts chapter 4, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that, they, say that any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And they laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. Can you imagine that kind of community? That kind of oneness, that kind of heart in caring for one another. There wasn't a spirit of mine, there was a spirit of ours. And they truly cared for one another. The Bible says as you get to the end of the book of Acts that there was a man. Uh, one man is kind of referenced. His name is uh, Joseph, if you read it in the New King James and it says there that he was a man who uh, came from a Jewish background, and he had come to know Jesus Christ and was set free from all of his old religious, legalistic ways, and he's found this new way in Jesus Christ, and he's walking in it, and he's astounded at this freedom. He's astounded at the love that they have for one another. And it says that he was so moved by the Spirit of God that he had some property, and he went and sold it and brought it the proceeds to the disciples. And they began to use what they had to care for those who were in need. And this man, Joseph, was, was kind of recognized for his spirit of giving. He didn't seek it out. He wasn't looking for prominence. He wasn't looking for, hey, look at me. But he gave. And he was so encouraging to those who had need. He became a life giver to others. He became a hope giver to others. He became an encourager. And in fact, the Bible goes on to say that the, the disciples, the apostles, all recognized this kind of man that he was. And they decided to give him a new name. They said, no longer are we going to call you Joseph. We're going to call you Barnabas from now on. Meaning, son of encouragement. You, you're so encouraging. You're so hope-filled. You give life to everyone who's around you. Everyone wants to be near you. And the disciples all renamed him Son of Encouragement. And I'm sure he was thinking, well, don't, don't get up and say my name. Don't get up and make a big deal about it. I'm not here for, for what, you know, acclaim. I'm not here for, hey, everybody look at me. And they said, I oh, know. That's why we call you Son of Encouragement. It's not about you. He was kind of this icon of... This day, this spirit of giving that was in the church at the time. There's such beauty in all of this. There's such delight. I'm sure the Holy Spirit is pleased when that's happening. God himself is pleased when all that's happening. And the enemy is very displeased when that's happening. What we're going to see today in Acts chapter 5 
is the enemy's attempt to thwart what's happening. And we're going to see the very holiness and jealousy of God to protect his bride. To say, back off. These are my people. This is my bride. I don't want your corruption in here. I don't want your deceit in here. I don't want your lies in here. Acts chapter 5 is where we are today. Beginning in verse 1, we see a story that unfolds about a couple. And what we're going to learn today is that when we live with a fresh start, it means living in the reality of God's holiness. Well, we've had some exciting messages up to this point. We've seen such hope and, and promise and passion, and we've experienced that here ourselves as well. But the scripture is clear to give us direction that says, when there is a move of God, there will be joy, there will be passion, there will be love, but be clear, there will be holiness as well. Anytime the Spirit of God is truly moving and working, there will be a recognition of righteousness and justice, uh, a freshness of repenting even of our old ways and any way that is contrary to the ways of God. Acts chapter 5 is where we are. Verse 1, it says this, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. It's interesting to get to the end of chapter 4. They're telling about Barnabas and kind of how he's held up. He wasn't seeking acclaim, but he's recognized as the guy who gives encouragement. But then there's another guy, Ananias, a certain man, it says in Scripture. And he is, he's married, has a wife, and apparently he had some... Wealth, a certain amount. It says here he sold a possession. We're going to find out pretty soon it was some property. So he's a property owner. He sees all that's happening. And he wants to get in on this move. He wants to get in on this thing that's happening amongst the people. We don't know exactly if he had put his faith in Jesus Christ or how it had happened or if he's just elementary in this or what. We just know he's part of the group and he sees what's happening. People are giving. People are caring. And there's, there's praise being given to certain people and there's recognition. Even though they're not seeking it, there's a lot of care going on. And recognition that God is here. And there's blessing happening to those who give. Ananias and Sapphira want to get in on it. Verse 2. It says, And he, Ananias, kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. It's very interesting. It doesn't tell us the amount of land. It doesn't tell us the dollar figure. It doesn't tell us how much they sold it for. It just uses these vague terms. That's pretty good. Appreciate Scripture and Spirit of God doing that. Because we can make application for any of us then, right? No one can say, well, I could never do that. This applies to all of us today. They sell some land that they have. 
They keep back the proceeds of it. Now, let me be clear about some things. The Spirit of God is at work in the church at this time, and people are giving and they're selling possessions that they have, but no one said, from now on, if you're going to be part of the church, you must sell your possessions and land and give them to us. That's not recorded anywhere in Scripture. That didn't happen. There was not a command. There was not a rule. There was not a law that said you have to sell what you have if you're going to be part of us and give us everything. That's not there. It was a voluntary act. Barnabas did it of his own free will. Ananias and Sapphira do this of their own free will. The problem isn't that they sold it. The problem is not the amount that they gave The problem comes, as we will see here in this passage, this. They sold it, told the disciples they were going to give this amount. Forget that's a number. It's just my hand. That they were going to give an amount, but they decided to keep back part for themselves and take advantage of getting some public acclaim while profiting financially at the same time. Mm. You see, the Spirit of God is protective of his bride. The Spirit of God is sensitive to what goes on in his church, and he will protect his church. He will protect truth. And so we here see that they have sold, they've brought part of the proceeds, but they have indicated that they have given all. I don't know if they wanted the same recognition that Barnabas got. I don't know if they wanted some reward. I don't know if they wanted to be held up and acclaimed and have them given a new name as well. I'm not sure what all happened. But they held back part for themselves and they're about to discover the protective hand of God upon his church. Verse 3. Peter is there. Peter is the spokesperson in charge of the church at the time. He is the one who has stood up and boldly proclaimed that this is the days that have been spoken about before. This is the Spirit of God who has come. And Peter stands up to Ananias and says this, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Peter's spiritual antenna go up. If you've been in a situation, you're talking to someone, and all of a sudden you get this sense that, wait a minute, this person is fake news. Right? You ever had that? You can't verify it at first, but you just have this awareness, but mm, this seems something's not right here. This is what happens to Peter. He gets this awareness as he's talking there with Ananias, and the Spirit of God begins to speak to him. Peter's in tune with the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to him, and he tells him what's going on here, and Peter senses something's not right. Peter senses that Satan is even involved in this transaction here, and Peter doesn't waste any time. He just boldly speaks out. He doesn't say, I'm going to have to wait a week and pray about this. I'm going to have to take some time and uh, really see what's going on here. He just, he just comes right out. Ananias, uh, why has Satan filled your heart? I mean, that would be kind of alarming to hear at that moment. Satan has filled your heart. What are you doing? Wow. Peter just speaks it right on out there. And he says, you've kept back part of the price of the land for yourself. He reveals his motives, calls him right out. Verse 4. It says, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? 
Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Peter, you have, or Ananias, Peter says, this was your land. You could have kept it, but you chose to sell it. And when you sold it and you got the possessions, it was in your control. You could have given it, you could have kept it. But you've conceived something wicked in your heart. You've conceived something deceptive. You are saying one thing outwardly and you are doing another thing inwardly. You are attempting to look spiritual before the church of God, but you are acting wickedly in your heart. I'm telling you, it's a tense moment. The Spirit of God speaking through Peter, addressing Ananias and his deceptive motivations. Can you imagine the moment? Can you imagine just standing off in the corner watching this transaction taking place? Peter filled with boldness and zeal and the Spirit of God. And he's speaking out and he addresses Ananias. Wow. You claim to be moved by the Spirit, but instead you're moved by the devil. You claim to be doing something good, but I sense your unholy motivations. You, you're looking for spiritual prestige while you profit financially from it. You hypocrite. You two-faced. You deceiver. We're going to come to several points in our message today. Here's the first. Fresh starts require being confronted with the truth. If you're going to have some fresh starts in your life, some new beginnings, some not just do-overs, but do-new, then it requires facing some moments where someone speaks cold, hard truth to you. It's not a very popular thing today to do or to receive. It's one of those things that we want to stay away from. It's much easier to just stay surface level and protect our self. But if you want to move on into walking with God, you're going to have to get to some places where you are willing to hear truth. Your doctor says to you, you're going to have to lose 15 pounds. Speaking some truth, right? Your boss says, some things are going to have to change. A wife says, you're never home. A husband says, you spend more time talking to everybody else than you do me. And truth is spoken. Many women in scripture faced moments like that. David tries to hide his affair and having the woman's husband murdered. Nathan the prophet confronts him. Peter tries to uh, keep Jesus from going to the cross and Jesus confronts him. Paul is consumed with persecuting the followers of Jesus and Jesus himself confronts him. Truth. Confrontation happens. You may be blindsided by it. You might not have been prepared for it, but it, it comes to you. Change happens 
when we respond properly in those moments. When we know how to respond when we are confronted. The Pharisees, when they were confronted with truth, were offended and walked away. Oh, how dare you? Pilate attempted to deny truth, washed his hands of it. But the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, to those who will hear and even in confrontation of truth when it comes to them, when they are laid bare before God, when the truth has come and it has, it's cut deep, exposing bone and marrow, the separating of the bone and marrow, it says in the book of Hebrews, and truth just kind of cuts us wide open, reveals our motivations. In that moment, the child of God has to know how to respond with humility. And not deny it, not blame someone else, not try to walk away, not try to hide, but just stand there and admit and then confess and repent. This is how we respond as the people of God. This is what we are called to. Not hiding, not denying, not blaming, but receiving and being changed by it. So Peter confronts Ananias and he does just that. He calls out his motives. He calls out his actions. He calls him to account. I want you to see what Peter says to him next. Verse 4, the second half says that Peter said, You have not lied to men, but to God. You've gone a little further than you thought, Ananias. This is not just a social transaction here. You stepped into the holy church of God. You've come into the community of those who have called upon Jesus Christ. You've come into the bride of Christ, and we are here serving our God. And you've come in, and you've brought deception. You've lied. You've lied here to me, and you've lied to God. And Ananias has to receive this. Ananias has to deal with this. It's a critical moment. It's almost as though Scripture pauses in this moment to see what's going to happen. Have you ever had those kind of moments before where you have, maybe you were seeking the Lord, or maybe you weren't. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God shows up in some moment. Maybe it's through a friend. Maybe it's through a family member. Maybe it's through you're listening to something on the radio. Maybe you're in church service like this, and the Spirit of God just is all over you in the moment. You sense the pressure. You sense him speaking to you. You sense him searching, and you become aware of what he's saying to you in that moment. No one else around you knows, but you know. What do you do in that moment? How do you respond? It's tempting to want to just push it off. It's tempting to want to just shift your focus and think about something else. And Ananias is confronted with truth. What do you do in these moments? Our next big truth this morning is this. Our response to confrontation either ignites or extinguishes a fresh start. When that truth is spoken to you, that's your moment. That's your time. Truth has come. We've all confessed and professed that the word of God is alive and it is true. And it speaks to us and the spirit of God is within us. And he's speaking to us. And in that moment, what you do next will determine whether you'll go on into a fresh start that God has for you. Or if you'll just keep walking in your same old paths. 
If you'll keep going the same way you've been going, if you'll keep living in your sin, if you'll keep living in your doubts, if you'll keep living in the darkness, it all comes down to that moment. How will you respond to truth when it's spoken to you? When David was confronted by Nathan for his immorality and murder, he first denied. He first tried to play it off. But Nathan the prophet would have none of it. David would finally confess and repent. And he would write the results in a psalm, a song in our book of Psalms. Psalm 32. Take note. Look at it later. I'm going to read part of it to you. David in his humility after the fact says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David, in his honesty, says this. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was turned into the drought of summer. And he says, I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is the right response. This is what we do. I don't know if you've been trained up in that process as you've walked in Christ. For quick confession... When truth confronts you, quickly admit, confess, repent, and go a new way. This is the pattern in which we are called to walk. And here in these early days in the book of Acts, the Spirit of God is teaching valuable, precious truth. The passage goes on in verse 5. It says, then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Wow. This was Ananias' moment. What he was called to do in that moment was what we've just said. Admit, confess, and repent. If he had done that, there would have been life. But instead, Ananias does what he's been doing for a while covering, hiding, practicing deceit. And so when he's confronted, he's, he's just in shock. Spiritual shock. Mental, emotional shock. And ultimately, physically. Did you know there's a physical payout for spiritual decisions? There really is. The choices that you make as you deal with God and receive grace or reject grace receive truth or reject truth, have physical payout. It doesn't mean that every physical condition or sickness is caused by sin. Please don't think I'm saying that today. 
But the opposite is true. There are some sins that are caused because of, I'm sorry, there are some illnesses that are caused because of people's sins. Amen? Amen. And in this moment, Ananias has chosen the wrong response. Instead of being humbled and admitting and confessing, he attempted to cover and deny. And it has cost him his life. Denial will do that to us. When you don't admit and confess and repent and you deny instead, denial always leads to death. If you're practicing denial and deceit in your marriage, I can almost tell you what's going to happen next to your marriage. If you're practicing denial and deceit in your finances, I can just about tell you what's going to happen next in your finances. If you're practicing deception and denial in your business, I can just about tell you what's going to happen next. God calls us to open, honest, humble, pure, righteous, holy decisions that follow what he's doing in our heart. Ananias falls down and breathes his last. I want you to see what happens to the community as a result of this. In the latter part of verse 5, it says, So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. I told you, God is a jealous God, and he protects the truth. He protects his bride, and this sin is attempting to be brought in. This deception is about to be brought in. It's about to provide some corruption within the body, and God addresses it. And Ananias has a moment. He's, have, he's given grace. He could have responded rightly to Peter. He chose not to, and it cost him his life. And then all of a sudden, now there's great fear and awareness. God is here in this place. The Spirit of God, he's not playing. He's alive. His Spirit is truth. There's grace. There's mercy. There's truth. It's not the end of the story. You'd think, well, that would be the end of it, but it's not. There's a big truth we kind of walk away from from this point, and we're going to move on here in just a moment. Here's our next big truth. Fresh starts always include a deeper awareness of God's holiness. Anytime there's a move of God, you can truly measure it by the amount of righteousness and the desire for righteousness that the people have. I love it when there's excitement about people coming to church. That's great. I celebrate that. We promote that in our community. We want people to come here and experience what God has for them. But it's not all about just getting people excited to come into church. It's helping people come to experience the reality of Jesus Christ in their life. And you can't experience full-blown forgiveness until you've, dealt, until you've dealt with full-blown sin in your life. Until you deal with the reality of what you've done, you can't experience the reality of what he's done for you. And if you're still hiding and living in this place of hidden sin, then you're not going to experience ultimate freedom that he has for you. It's a progressive walk of, of setting aside sins, laying aside weights, putting aside what holds us down, laying aside the chains so we can walk into greater fullness that he has for us. And any time there's a real fresh start, it won't just be with a rah, rah, rah. It'll be with a cry of humility and holiness before God. Amen? causes 
change to come. Real revival, real movement from God brings about change. It causes a change in how we walk, the patterns that we walk in. It changes our priorities. It changes everything about us. And we are willing to continue to be changed by it. So we're willing to say, God, my language has not been at all glorifying you. But now, I recognize your spirit within me. And God, I'm going to make some changes to what comes out of my mouth from now on. There's change. There's repentance. God, I... I've been filled with some anger and bitterness and resentment because I, I know your presence is very real and you're at work in my life. I repent of those things and I'll walk in forgiveness toward others who've hurt me. God, I've been so proud and opinionated and just filled with my own ego that today I set all that aside. I change who I am to be surrendered completely to your will and to walk humbly before you. God, I'm no longer going to look to what the world offers me as substitutes for joy. I'm going to put aside some things I've been addicted to. I'm going to put aside some things I've been drinking in that I've looked to for my joy and my comfort. And I'm going to drink in your spirit instead. You see, there's real change that happens. People stop playing games. People stop just coming to church just to say they've been to church. People start dealing with sin in their lives. People start dealing with righteousness and forgiveness. Real change begins to happen when the Spirit of God is at work. Amen? People become obsessed with living out righteousness. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about measuring myself about, against you and thinking I'm more righteous than you. No, it's all about who Jesus is and what he's done in our life and how I can lift him up and live him out. Amen? Ananias didn't have that kind of heart. The passage goes on in verse 6, and it says this, And the young men arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and they buried him. They didn't say there'll be a funeral next Friday. They didn't say call the family and friends. They buried him right away. The reason we know that is because of what happens next in the passage. Verse 7, Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in. Three hours have passed, and she didn't even know what's going on. Not knowing what has happened, verse 8. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yeah, I did. It was for that amount, for so much. Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? How is it you and your husband have talked and planned and schemed and connived this plot? How is it you've gathered together and conceived this insidious thing that's come here inside God's holy people? How is it you've done this, Sapphira? You've tested the spirit of the Lord. and He's not done. Second part of verse 9, he says this. He says, look. The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out. Peter, he ain't playing. He's serious. When you deal with the reality of God, there is grace, there's forgiveness, there's peace, but those all come through the door of humility. Humility. 
And if you can't come in humbly, you can't receive those. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, it says in the book of James and 1 Peter. And Sapphira is confronted. They carry you out too, Sapphira. Why have you done this thing? And this is the moment of grace. This is the moment where she should have responded with, I'm undone. God, forgive me. I've blown. I've failed. Peter, I'm so sorry. This was the moment to break. This is the moment to repent. This is the moment to receive forgiveness. This is what you do in the body of Christ now. When you're confronted, you receive forgiveness and you go on a new path. This was her moment. Her husband did not respond rightly. And now let's see what happens to her. Verse 10. Then immediately she fell down at his feet, Peter's, and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out. They buried her by her husband. Almost a shocking story here in the midst of such incredible joy, such passion, such new movement of God in the book of Acts. Yet here is this holy awareness, this moment of purity, of call to account, righteousness, and truth. Verse 11 sounds like one verse we read earlier. So great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard these things. Now the word spread. Can you believe what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Man, I knew they shouldn't have done that. What were they thinking? Well, I didn't even know they did that. Yeah, they kept back part of the money for themselves. They tried to use this moment to try to get a name for themselves, try to look all good. And God, he intervened. They didn't repent. And it took their life. Next big truth for this morning. Awareness of holiness awakens the reality of God's presence in a community. I hear stories from time to time, people in our community that say, man, I see what's going on. We're very glad it's awesome. I see everybody in the parking lot on Sunday morning. Woo, it's cool. I mean, y'all are parking everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. It's awesome. Love all that. Celebrate all that. But the scripture makes it clear that the real evidence is not just the number of people that show up at a place, but the life change that happens in the people that do show up at that place. So I want us to be clear as we continue to walk forward in all that God has for us. I celebrate what God's doing here at Vertical. But my constant prayer is, God, let us be people who will live out what we're lifting up. Let us live with consistency of this, with this, the vertical and the horizontal. If we say we believe in forgiveness this way, let us live with forgiveness this way. If we say we have been made righteous this way, 
Let us live righteous this way. Let us not get to the place where we pretend, where we cover, where we deceive, where we refuse to repent when confronted with truth. I believe that's when we'll see greater revival in our nation. Is when the talk about the church is not just what seems to be a growing popularity, but instead a growing spirit of holiness where people are repenting, where relationships are being restored, where righteousness is more predominant than selfishness, where we're willing to sacrifice more than we are demand our rights. This is the real evidence of the Spirit of God in a place. And this is what causes change out there. When you and I are living this stuff out. When truly our our priorities change. It's not about trying to see how long I can stay at work. It becomes about how much time can I spend telling others about the kingdom. It's no longer about how close I can get to sin and still call myself a believer, but how far away from all that stuff I can get and show others truth. New priorities, new passions, new patterns. Our last verse today is verse 12. It says, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people. When the church is holy and righteous and walking in that, it sets the stage for the miraculous to happen. It sets the stage for things that you once thought were dead to experience resurrection, whether it be a marriage, a relationship, a dream, a hope, or your own heart where you once thought there was death, now all of a sudden there's life. Where you once thought there was no way there could ever be peace and love there again, God resurrects it. And it comes out of the fertile ground of a people who will deal sincerely and honestly with God. Who will hear the call of Jesus. Who will bow at his feet who will receive forgiveness, mercy, grace, and love, and then live it out. Last point today. Fresh starts in Christ begin with a passion for honesty before God and others. Fresh starts happen when you and I get to the place where we are ready to say, God, I stand here before you, all of me. You see everything. And I confess to you my sin, my selfishness. I confess to you my need for you. I confess the forgiveness that's mine in Jesus Christ. I confess my calling that I have in Jesus Christ. And I walk in it. 
a willingness to be honest with God. And where necessary, a willingness to be honest with others. There's some things you need to confess before God that need to stay between you and God. But there are some things where there's been offense this way, where there's, a, there's someone who's been offended by your actions, where there's someone who's been hurt, and you need to make reconciliation happen to the best of your ability. And you live in that kind of honesty. You're willing to admit your own faults to someone else, as is fitting. But you do so without fear. This is what happens in a community of believers who truly are experiencing a fresh start. So as we come to this part of the service, this is where we normally um, respond to God. And we're going to do that today. But I would ask that we do just something a little bit different today. This is a, a serious matter, how we stand before God. So I'd like to ask this. If you are able and would like to, would you join me on your knees by your seat? I know not everybody can do that. If you can't physically do that, that's totally fine. Just stay right in your seat. But I would like for us to spend some time praying, to seek the Lord, to confess what we must before him so that there would be clear, open communication from God to us. So that there would be honesty, sincerity, confession, nothing hidden between us and God. I'm going to kneel here. Would you join me? I'd like for you to take some time just to pray. You, you to God. Him speaking to you. You speaking to Him. Where there needs to be confession, confess. Where there needs to be commitment, commit. Commit.